We're returning this morning to our series in the book of Jeremiah, Gospel Jewels in Jeremiah. And we were, during the Christmas period, in this little book of songs in the middle of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 30 to 33. And it's actually called the Songs of Consolation. And they are mainly looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. So it was very appropriate at Christmas to consider some of these songs. Well, we wish it could be Christmas every day, don't we? So we are still in this Christmas part of the prophecy. And the song that I want us to consider this morning is one of the most joyous, not just in Jeremiah, but in the whole of the Bible. You may have guessed what verse it is from that hymn that we've just sung. Jeremiah 31, verse 3. Jeremiah 31, verse 3. Here's a gospel gem for you. The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yea, in the authorised version, or yes, in the newer translations, I have loved you with an ever- lasting love therefore with loving kindness i have drawn you the love of god that is what the gospel is all about it's one of the most awesome of subjects and it is with fear and trembling that i stand before you this morning having to speak on so big and vast uh, a topic. And yet, here, we find it in the middle of this book of comforts. That's what consolation is. Because Jeremiah and the children of Israel were living in the darkest days of their history. Many had been taken captive to Babylon, and Jeremiah was left behind in Jerusalem, And it looked hopeless. Uh, One of the false prophets, a very popular prophet, Hananiah, he'd prophesied that the captivity in Babylon was only going to last for two years. Well, two years were passed and nothing had changed. So I think the people had given up. All hope had been lost. It was the darkest part of the night. And yet in the darkness... Here's a song. Here's a song in the midnight hour. Here's God who gives songs in the nights. Actually, many of the greatest statements of the love of God are in the circumstances of the greatest discouragements. If you read the Psalms, it's when we are brought down to our lowest points it is then often that the love of God in Jesus Christ appears to us so if you are in a dark place this morning fear not you may be able to see something afresh of this love of God and if you're not a Christian this is what the good news of Jesus Christ is all about for God so loved the world or as it's in the original so God loved the world 
that he gave this wonderful person as a saviour, this Messiah. So just two things this morning. The first, I want to bring a statement of fact. That's what you've got in the first half of verse 3. Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Now, why am I emphasising this as a statement of fact? Well, the problem is, when you are in darkness, and when everything seems to be going wrong, and when you are beginning to despair of yourself, there's no point saying, feel that you're loved. There's no point, is there? What we need is a statement that is true, whether we feel it or not. In days like we are living, when the church is in a mess, the churches of Christ at this moment are, are really not what they should be. But what we need is a statement of something that is true in spite of that. Uh, here is an illustration. The man who wrote the book The Robe, on which the film, the old film, was based on, he was a student, and he lived in Diggs, and downstairs on the first floor there was an elderly former music teacher. And every day this music teacher would do the same thing. Every day he would do the same thing. This student would come down the stairs and the old music teacher would say, it didn't matter what kind of day it was, he would say, well, what's the good news? This man was happy. What's the good news, he would say. And he would take up his tuning fork and he would tap it on the side of his chair and he would say, that's middle C. If you're into music, you'll know what middle C is. It was middle C yesterday. It will be middle C tomorrow. It will be middle C a thousand years from now. The tenor upstairs sings flat. <laughs> the piano across the hall is out of tune. But that is still middle C. My friend, I don't know what kind of situation you're in. You might be feeling flat spiritually. You might realise that you have no hope when you hear of another person dying in our midst. You're just thinking, what about me? What's going to happen to me when I die? I don't know where I'm going. You may be in a situation where everything is dark, but this is a statement of fact, like that middle C. This love is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's why it's facts that we need before feelings. If you look at the fact, the feeling will follow. But the problem we've got here is this love of God is so vast, our tiny minds are not sufficient to be able to understand uh, the, the love of God. You know, there are some intelligent people here this morning but you're never going to be able to fully understand this love. The breadth and length and height and depth. That's what Paul said, the most intelligent person in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul. And he said, to know the love of Christ which passes 
knowledge. If you've got something beautiful, have you seen the snowdrops that have come out now? Aren't they beautiful? If you try to take a snowdrop and try to dissect it in order to understand it, you're kind of spoiling it, aren't you? And it's the same when we're trying to look at this wonderful fact of the love of God. We can't overanalyze it either. So what are we going to do? Well, let's just look at the words here. These words are awesome in the right sense now of the word awesome. Firstly, you've got the word everlasting. Everlasting. Do you know what that means? It means the vanishing points. When you look at the horizon, maybe if you go to um, Aberystwyth and you look out onto Cardigan Bay and the horizon has a vanishing point, doesn't it? You can't see Ireland. It vanishes. That's what the word everlasting means. There's a vanishing point. So if you look back, uh, I don't know how many of you here remember the Queen's accession to the throne. It was 70 years ago today. I, I couldn't remember it because I wasn't around. <laughs> now, if you go back, say, to the 19th century, none of you here would have been around then. But the love of God was the same. If, if you go even further back, if you go back to Jeremiah's day, this is about 500, 600 years before the New Testament. The love of God is the same. If you go right back to when history started, uh, thousands and thousands of years when people started keeping records, when there are traces of civilization, the love of God was still there. If you go back before history, when we have no records, the love of God is still there. If you go back to when the world was created, the love of God was still there. If you go beyond that, and this is where our minds can't understand any of it, then the love of God was still the same. As the hymn says, far beyond time, beyond that horizon, before creation's dawn, before the sun and moon and stars were born. I have loved you, says God, with a love that goes so far back, you have to go over the furthest horizon, and it's still there, it's still in eternity past. And then when you look forward, I've lost count of the number of funerals we've had these last two years. But it is sobering, isn't it? So one day, we will leave this world behind. We don't know how long we've got left. But the love of God in Christ will still be the same. One day, our children and our children's children. One day, Arthur will be old. And, and one day, Arthur will die. And yet the love of Christ is still going to be the same. I don't know how long this planet has got. Only God knows. But this I know from the statement of fact this morning. That however far beyond the horizon you go into the future, the love of God is still going to be there. This one constant from eternity past into eternity future, this 
wonderful love of God. Can you see now why this is awesome and encouraging? Whatever may be happening in our little world, it's not going to be that long, is it? This short fever of a life is going to be over one day. And then, the word loved is interesting. Why is it interesting? Because this everlasting love is huge. But the word loved here, in the original, it's not the word for big, it's the word for everyday love. So it's the the word used for the love of a parent to their child. The love of a husband to their wife, for a wife to a husband, or a child to a parent. It's a familiar term for love. Now, I find this really amazing, that this love of God, which is infinite, because it's from everlasting to everlasting, is also personal. It's personal. And I think Jeremiah here was prophesying of the manifestation of that love of God in a person. For God the Father so loved the likes of you and me that he gave his Son a person. I can know this love, not as a concept. I can know it in the person of Jesus Christ. And there is something else here. In other parts of Jeremiah, it's come through. It's to do with being married, isn't it? It's the love of a husband and wife. If you become a Christian, you are married while you're betrothed to God. And when we have a wedding in the vows, till death us do part. That breaks the marriage. But there's no till death us do part in the marriage of a believer to Jesus Christ. Can you see how encouraging this is? Don't you want to be joined to Jesus Christ this morning if you're not? Don't you want something that is always going to be the same? Everything else in life is uncertain. Everything else in life will at some point come to an end, even the closest of human relationships. But it is possible to have a love, to have a soulmate, to have someone always there, always. Don't you want that? And then, this is, I find this interesting. The word for love, so the word loved is the familiar term for the love of people to one another. But the word love, I have loved you with an everlasting love, this is the feminine word for love. It's not a masculine word. Isn't that interesting? This is a mother love that Jeremiah is thinking of. So this infinite, awesome love, which is manifest in terms of a person, is something that comes in a feminine way. Mother love. These poor people who were doubting whether God loved them. Are you doubting whether God can love you? How can God love a wretch like me? 
I may not show it, but I know in my heart that I'm a fraud. I know that I've done bad things. I may not say that to others, but I know I'm not what I should be. And if I'm honest, I don't know if I'm ready to die. I don't know where my eternity is going to be spent. How can a God, a God who is the God of the Bible, love somebody like me? I've let him down. But listen to another prophet, Isaiah. This is mother love. Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of a womb? Well, that's hardly the case. It can happen, can't it? We've heard of women abandoning their children. But even if that happens, and it's rare in human terms, yet I will never forget you. Oh, don't you want that kind of love? A love that's guaranteed on God's side? We may forget him, and we do forget him, but he will never forget us. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you wherever you go. Whether it's good times, bad times, I'm going to be there. A statement of fact. Did you notice in Jeremiah 30, the statement, all your lovers have abandoned you. Did you notice that in the reading? All your other lovers have abandoned you. But I won't, says God. And look at the people that he loves. They were rebellious. That's why they were in Babylon. That's why I wanted to read from chapter 30. It wasn't an easy chapter, was it? Because God is saying, it's because of your sin that this has come upon you. So God must punish sin, even in his own people. And yet, this is the wonderful thing about this love of God. It's love to the loveless. It's a gracious love. Love to people who don't deserve any of it, which is why we have hope this morning. And if we think Israel were bad, you know, all the history of the Old Testament is cyclical, isn't it? It's the same old, same old. The people have been loved by God. He's done wonderful things for them. And then they just abandon him and he brings them into a place where they're desperate, where in the middle of the night, as it were, they cry out to him and then he comes and he delivers them. And then the pattern happens all over again. It's same old, same old. But let he who is without sin cast the first stone here this morning. We are no better than Israel of old, are we? And I'm not thinking of anybody here. I'm thinking of myself. Same old, same old in my heart, in your heart. But here is a God who says, I will still love you. Here is a gospel which says, I will love the whoever's. It doesn't matter how bad you may be. Here is one who says, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven. Hallelujah. This is unconditional love. Unconditional. 
Herein is love. This is the statement of fact. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Praise the Lord. It's fact that he loves people who don't deserve it. So, statements of fact. I don't know what your situation is. I don't know what your feelings are like. But just as a middle A is going to be a middle A forever, so the tune of God's love is ever the same. But there's something else here, and this is even more important. Jeremiah doesn't just give us a statement of fact, because that would still leave us in the lurch, wouldn't it? How does this love of God come to me? How does it come to you? Well, he puts it in the second half of the verse. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. So this love is like a magnet. Now, when I was a boy, I had those horseshoe-shaped magnets, and they weren't that powerful. But if you think of an electromagnetic force and the drawing power of that. So what I want to say is this love of God has a drawing power. It doesn't matter how far away we may have gone. It can draw us. It can draw us to himself. But there's something that is said at the start of the verse. Look at what Jeremiah says. The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, what's that? Well, Jeremiah wouldn't have known of this love of God and this love of God coming to him unless it had been revealed to him. We can't know anything about this love of God unless he opens our eyes to see it. It was said, I think, in the prayer and in one of the hymns that the world around us shows something of the love of God, but that's not definite enough. We need God to manifest that love to us. And this, this is what God has done. We've got a God who has shown himself. So it's not just that the creation shows God to be glorious and good, but God has revealed himself. Where has he revealed himself? He's revealed himself in the Bible. This is the word of God. This doesn't contain the word of God. This is the word of God. And the Bible reveals the word the Word is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And 2,000 years ago, the Word became a man. And that's the ultimate manifestation of the love of God. The man, Christ Jesus, the Son of God in human flesh. When did you first see it? The problem is, you see, by nature, we'll either have a sentimental view of God's love, which isn't the right view. That, that, I think, was my view. I thought of God as some Father Christmas character up in heaven. He just loved everybody in a vague, woolly sort of way. And he didn't have any power. And the problem was the wrong in the world wasn't dealt with. That's no good. That's no good. 
That's not the love of God in the Bible. But others go to the other extreme. And you have this in certain religions, a hard view of God. It's like a taskmaster always beating you with a stick. But that's not the God of the Bible either. That couldn't be true if God says, I have loved you with an everlasting, unconditional, gracious love. That can't be true if God so loved this sin-sick world that he sent the greatest gift ever, his only begotten son. That can't be true if God saves sinners. So we need to see it. God, by his Spirit, opens our eyes to see it. Have you seen it? When I was preparing, I was reading a commentary written by a very intelligent man, and I was just struck by this. In the middle of all the technicalities, he says this, he's loved, he's loved me, and I can't tell why. <laughs> that is when I look at myself, but when I know him and look at him as he has been unveiled in the sun of his love, then I say, oh God, had I been 10,000 times more polluted than I am, thou couldst not have helped loving me. He's loved me, and I can't believe it. It's a thing most wonderful, almost too wonderful to be. And yet, it's true. It's true. Look at the words here then. With loving kindness have I drawn thee, drawn thee. God manifesting his love in the person of Jesus Christ. Think of Jesus Christ drawing people. Didn't he do that when he was here on earth? What kind of people did Jesus draw to himself? He didn't draw many of the religious leaders, did he? They were repelled by him. Because they thought that they had something to offer God. They thought that they were good enough. They probably admitted that they weren't perfect, like many people would do today. You know, I've preached in chapels in Wales, and I've had people say to me afterwards, I'm not perfect, but I'm not that bad. I'm not that bad. Such people, they don't see the need of Jesus to save them. But the people in Jesus' day that were drawn to him were those who knew that they were just sinners. He was the friend of tax collectors and sinners. Those people couldn't get enough of him. Do you see yourself as a sinner this morning? Do I see myself as a sinner? I've been preaching for a long time now. Woe be to me if I think I've reached the point where I no longer need Jesus as the friend and the saviour of sinners. If you're a sinner, don't you feel drawn to him? In one sense, we say with Peter, don't we, when Peter first came across him, Lord, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. The same Holy Spirit that shows us the love of Christ also shows us what we are really like. I'm just bearing witness here this morning. That's what preaching is. It's to bear witness 
to what the Lord has done for me. I can remember when I was a teenager, I could sense God in his creation. I felt a joy uh, in that sense. And then God began opening my eyes to see my own heart. And uh, all I could see was uh, pollution, uh, rebellion. I'd never done any bad things. I was a chapel-going good boy. But my heart, in the words of Jeremiah, was deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And I couldn't understand the gospel that God so loved a sinner that he gave Jesus Christ to be the one to save that sinner. And it happened to me after I'd got to the stage where I was in a very dark place, like Jeremiah here, in the night, I just cried to God, Lord, I've got nothing to offer you. Lord, I wouldn't have a complaint against you if you were to send me to hell. And then my eyes were opened. I saw, I saw that Jesus Christ, not just by his life, but by his cross, that's what has the ultimate drawing power, the cross of Jesus Christ. He took my sins. He took my sins. And you know what? He remembered me. He remembered me. And he loved me because he paid my debts. He loved me. And I want to tell you that because he can do the same to you. I know nothing like the cross that has that drawing power. Jesus himself said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. Yes, we must see our need of Jesus Christ, but that won't draw you to him. Uh, remember William Williams in his version of Pilgrim's Progress, Theomemphis, you had Boanerges preaching the law, and that made poor Theo aware that he was a sinner, but he couldn't save him. You needed an evangelius to preach Christ on the cross, dying for our sins, not some sentimental manifestation of how much God loves us, but the covenant, eternal love of God coming down in time in the person of Jesus Christ and then going all the way to that cross. And Jesus Christ, for three hours, tasting an eternal hell for the people of God so that we could be forgiven. My friend, the Trinity is involved in this everlasting love of God. In eternity past, the Father chose us. In time, Jesus the Son comes and procures our salvation. And then in time, in our lifetime, the Spirit comes and opens our eyes and warms our hearts and makes us realize it's not what I do, but what he has done. And I'm saved for eternity. Have you seen it? Have you seen it? Maybe you're like Christian or pilgrim in Bunyan's work. You're still carrying your load of sin. Are you burdened this morning? Maybe you don't feel it as much as you want to, but do you feel a sense 
of failure, a sense that you're trying to deal with sin, and you just can't, you just can't. It's the same old, same old, and it will always be the same old, same old, because that's what human nature is like. Come to the cross. Come. Listen to Pilgrim coming to the cross. He sang a song, a song in the night. It didn't stay dark. It turned light. Thus far did I come, laden, burdened with my sin. Nor could aught ease the grief that I was in till I came here. What a place is this. Must here be the beginning of my bliss? Must here the burden fall from off my back? Must here the strings that bound it to me crack? Yes, it is the case. Blessed cross, blessed tomb, blessed rather be the man, the man, Christ Jesus, who was there put to shame for me. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones called the cross the pulpit of God's love. How can I know if God loves a sinner like me? We had a tract many years ago. How would I know if God existed? Why hasn't he told us? If he loved us, why hasn't he shown it? And you opened the tract, and it just had three crosses on it. And then underneath, would we believe him if he did? This is what the Holy Spirit really convicts us of. He convicts us of unbelief. Do you believe? Do you believe that you're the sinner? Not a sinner, you're the sinner. And do you believe that Jesus is the friend and the saviour of sinners? And that on that cross, he didn't die for the sins he had done because he had none. He died for your sin. Do you believe? Well, let's come to a conclusion. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. It's interesting. Jeremiah doesn't say, God drew me. That's true. That's true. God says, I have drawn you with loving kindness. I have drawn you. Oh, may we, even if we've been Christians for many, many years, may we be drawn again to that cross. And may we just be gobsmacked, gobsmacked by grace that he loved a wretch like me, and gave himself for me. And may we then hold up this cross. This is the pulpit of God's love. May this church be a place where Christ and him crucified is held up high for all this city to see. And may it please God that by his spirits he will draw and may he draw somebody here this morning to himself for his namesake.